We've had dogs as companions for about 30,000 years now, give or take. But what about veterinarians that care for our dogs? That is a much more recent invention. In today's episode, we take a look at how those veterinary professionals handle the emotional roller coaster of caring for our dogs. And we also look at some new resources available to them. Hello, I'm James Jacobson. Welcome to The Long Leash. The first veterinary school was in France in the 1700s, and then in London, and eventually in the United States. But veterinarians in general are a new profession. And even in my lifetime, we've seen veterinarians evolve significantly. It wasn't long ago when I would go to a vet conference and pretty much every vet I met was a man. Now women dominate the veterinary profession, I think that's a great thing, and the vet schools. And that's just one of the many changes in veterinary medicine over the last few years. On today's show, we're going to take an exploration into the role of veterinary medicine and how it's evolving and how that impacts you and your dog. Our guest today is George Melillo. He's the CEO of a chain of veterinary hospitals in the Mid-Atlantic called Heart and Paw. He's been practicing veterinary medicine for almost 40 years. George, thanks for being with us today. It's my pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me. So we wanted to explore the future of veterinary medicine and you seem like an awfully good person to begin this journey with because you have been practicing for a few years, right? Yes, I, uh, I've been in the profession 40 plus years. I got my veterinary degree almost 37 years ago in 1985. And you're one of those infamous VMDs, which means that I'm going to say you probably went to the University of Pennsylvania. I did. I did. That's, that's impressive you know that. So we are the only school that actually uses the Latin form of the degree, and that's why we're VMDs, yes. I love that, yes. It, it distinguishes all those Penn veterinarians from the rest of the people, like from all those other schools. Yeah. But what I wanted to talk with you about is you're not only a veterinarian, but you are an entrepreneur, and you've had an interesting career where you started off as a vet in a small practice, I think, and and sold that, and then went into human medicine and then got back into veterinary medicine with what you're doing today. That's correct. You know, I, I worked in a multi-doctor practice my first five years. Then I had my own practice for many years mm -hmm. and sold that for you know, various reasons. Remained friends with my partner who I sold to. Um, we're still great friends. But I did some startup companies in human pharmaceuticals. And I enjoyed the kind of the combination of, of the entrepreneurial startup spirit. Mm -hmm. And I also enjoyed the corporate world. So when we successfully sold our second business, I actually joined Banfield Pet Hospitals, which is the largest private hospital, largest general practice in the world. They're owned by Mars. And I spent nine years there mm -hmm. and enjoyed my time there. But I felt compelled to do something different. Because I, I love the profession. I love um, everything about it. But it's a very unhealthy profession in a lot of ways. So the opportunity to start something very different. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Because obviously, a lot of veterinarians are minted every year because 
They love animals. They love veterinary medicine, but they don't necessarily love business. And they have noble hearts, but maybe not so much uh, entrepreneurial spirits. Is that fair? I, you know, I think they have great hearts. They definitely, that's the heart in our name was really the heart of the veterinary care provider. I think they can be very good business people. Mm -hmm. I see myself as a business person as much as a veterinarian, but it's a very challenging career. And, and, you know, it's, we see ourselves as healthcare providers and the world really sees pets very differently than it did 40 years ago as part of the families. But there are challenges with, you know, what people can do. Sometimes the veterinarian is capable of doing more than a client can afford to do. So there's always the sense of having to make choices. And in some cases, it's compromises. But there's a lot of wear and tear. And, and the emotional kind of roller coaster in a doctor's day from that healthy, playful kitten to end-of-life conversations with what may be the only companion an isolated person has in life. It's very, very demanding. And as a result, our profession has a lot of challenges that are pretty well known, you know. Well, let's talk about some of those challenges, George, in terms of how you've seen the profession change in, in the 40 years that you've been in it. Yeah, I think at one point, you know, 40 years ago, the veterinarian was seen as the expert. There was very little pushback. There was very little challenging mm -hmm. his at the time. Now it's a lot her authority, right? Mm -hmm. So there might have been challenges about the cost of something, but the public really was generally very trusting of the profession. I think now with obviously the access to so much information, it becomes a little bit more challenging. I think the mental health aspects of veterinary medicine, we have the highest suicide rate of any healthcare profession. We are more than twice for men and three times more so than the general population to actually follow through with a suicide plan once it's decided. And there's studies that say one in six veterinarians has actually contemplated suicide. And, you know, I think... Um, dealing with some of the emotional challenges, the burnout, you know, this COVID period, the demand for veterinary services with shortened staff has been very, very challenging. Um, a recent study came out from Merck that showed some of the elevation and some of the mental health aspects of it. And then, you know, you top that off with a debt burden that is more than twice what starting salaries are. So it's kind of a, a mixture of, of just so much that makes it a very, very challenging profession. And, you know, and starting our company, well-being was really front and center. How do we create a place for people who love animals to be happy, healthy, and successful, financially successful? Well, I think that's what is part of the distinction about what you're doing is you are starting with the practitioners. You're starting with not just the veterinarians, but the vet techs and focusing on them so that they can practice veterinary medicine and get some of that other aspects out of the way. How are you doing that? I think a big part of well-being is having a say and autonomy in what your day looks like, what your week looks like, what your caseload looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very important. I think more and more as the public really sees their pet as a member of the family, we need to evolve as a profession too. 
And, you know, the example I always use is I have five grown children. I would never have left one of those children at a hospital under anesthesia and walked out of the building. Mm -hmm. But veterinarians ask our clients to do that every day. So the idea, part of it is if we really want to treat pets like family, why not encourage the client to stay, have them be able to work from a a comfortable seating area with Wi-Fi. And then when I'm done with a dental, I want us to come out and say, you know what? Her mouth is wet. There's blood where I took a tooth out. She's whimpering. But if you're up for it, I want you to come back and recover with us. And the reason I like that is it is much less stressful for the animal to smell their owner, mm-hmm. to be rubbed in the places that only they know where you know they comfort them, to use whatever language and baby words or whatever they use to comfort their pet. So it cuts down on stress. It's treating that pet like a member of the family. But I think the ancillary benefit is they're going to see the level of care our veterinarians, our veterinary technicians, the whole care team are providing for their pet. And it's taking some of the mystique away from what too often happens in the back, right? That's typically, we're going to take the animal in the back. Well, we're saying, why not? Why not bring the client as part of that? It'll raise awareness. I think it'll elevate what we're doing day in, day out. You know, often heroic things are done. Um, to provide veterinary care. And and we'd like them to be more transparent about what we're doing so that people really kind of respect it. That transparency and encouraging the involvement of the pet parents is, is sort of a hallmark of what you're doing. We've talked to some other new veterinary groups like a veterinary emergency group that also has that same ethic. Yes. You come, as as you mentioned earlier, from at least a stint at Banfield, which is the largest corporate vet hospital chain in America, owned by a candy company. We'll get to that. Do you see this changing on those types of companies as well? Or is this your unique place in the market? No, it's hard. Our model is a little bit different um, in the sense that we're not trying to make every hospital the same. You know, one of the challenges I saw was there was a constant pressure to add more pets to a schedule, add more dentals to a schedule. We're trying to give our practitioners, our care providers, time with that pet. So we really want to do low-stress pet handling, okay, or fear-free is another kind of moniker that is out there as, as kind of really minimizing the stress to the pet. That takes time Mm -hmm. and to have time to do it well and to really, you know, ease a pet into the exam process, even spend time not necessarily having an exam, but getting comfortable in the environment. So we're able to do that where I think some of the other groups, the larger groups, there's a lot of different pressures on them to, you know, look at numbers and look at some of the metrics that were part of my experience there. Do you see this as something that is unique among, you know, these types of groups like what you're doing and what Veg is doing for emergency medicine? Or do you think that the smaller, like, you know, single owner practices can do this as well? I think they certainly can do it. I believe it is much harder to be a practice owner now than when I had my practice in the 90s. Mm And that's why we're also acquiring people who want to be part of something bigger. 
and introduce some of these concepts who believe what we do. I think it's easier to be part of a group in many ways, but I'm sure there are people doing great things along the same lines individually. In many ways, being part of people who believe the same things creates some shared kind of synergies that can facilitate it happening. It can help kind of elevate everybody's game, so to speak, in delivering some of these thoughts. I think it is interesting what Veg is doing. I think we're doing things interesting. I think there's a couple other groups out there that are are thinking about the profession differently, which is very exciting because ultimately, you know, it's not about the success only of heart and paw. It's about really delivering a care model that the, you know, the shift in pet ownership from baby boomers to millennials and Gen Z is very real and their needs will be very different. But what I want to see is my profession thrive. And I want to see veterinarians want to practice like my mentors for generations of families and communities and be happy about that. I want us to get back to a point where we wanted our children to follow in our footsteps, which isn't happening. I want to stop where we have 40% of veterinarians looking to leave the profession. So that's whether it's just heart and paw or whether it's many groups doing the same things. That's wonderful. Uh, George, I want to stop you right here. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back. And now a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, grassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. <laughs> it infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, <laughs> I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the Everpop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpop, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpop is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpop Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S., Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're back with George Melillo of Heart and Paw. So obviously the pandemic has been a game changer for the veterinary industry in so many ways. And you mentioned that there are a lot more women entering the profession. What are those two aspects that seem, at least from you know a layperson's perspective, to be super important? What does that portend for veterinary industry for the next, I don't know, decade or so? Well, I think that women are by far, you know, almost 80% plus of all the veterinary classes. So really there are more women now in the profession, you know, than when I went to school. Mm-hmm. Mine was the first class, there were more women than men, and it's just accelerating, which is wonderful. You know, it, it's really good. The pandemic, you know, what we had to face is our frontline workers who were deemed essential care workers, rightly so, also had to struggle with their children being in virtual school and being home, right? So it really was a very tough act. They had to go into hospitals and be on that front line and worry about what they might bring home to their young families and their children. So it was very complicated. And and I think that is something that we were very mindful of. How do we keep our team safe? I think our profession was very agile. I think it always is. And making that curbside kind of component come to life and deliver healthcare, I think many ways safer and quicker than human healthcare was able to figure out is is kind of a great thing about veterinary medicine. I, I think we're very quick on our feet. Tell me a little bit about the speed and rapidity of how you all responded at your company when this first started. Yeah, we were very quick to embrace and offer curbside. We always took the mindset of our team members' safety was top priority, the public safety, and delivering care to our patients. And that's been a guiding point still. So we really went curbside even before some of the local veterinary medical associations were putting it out there. And we stayed curbside only until June of this year, June of 2021, is when we resumed opening to the public, still completely masked, 
still with, you know, social distancing and limiting people in the space. And that's been the case, um, you know, since then. But it was something that, you know, it was, we're all figuring out things on the fly. And I think we did a good job keeping our team safe. A lot of veterinary practices, you know, because of the nature of the curbside and, and because of the nature of communicating with the clients telephonically or with video, got into that and install that type of technology to improve the customer interaction. Is that something that you guys did or are you kind of back to the old fashioned way of doing it before the pandemic? No, we, we leverage technology. And, and, you know, I think the technology, whether it's using text, whether it's sending pictures, whether it's we do use that. You know, I think in many cases, it's very appropriate mm-hmm. and enhances care, some of the behavior issues, right? But, you know, we don't have necessarily a telemedicine app. We're still exploring that. But we've been using that texting and be able to capture images and videos in our practice management system. So we've done that from even before COVID, mm-hmm. did it more so during COVID. But it's not necessarily an offering that we say we have these telemedicine hours. We're exploring what that looks like for us going forward. I think there certainly will be a component of that in our business. What I saw was there was a flurry of people wanting to add telemedicine or telehealth to their platforms. And there were many companies that came out right in COVID. And then I think just how do you make it so that the client sees it as a, as an, a value how do they see it as getting the same level of care? And I think there's still things that have to be worked out around that. But it's going to be something that's part of all healthcare platforms, including veterinary medicine. So how many hospitals do you have currently? We have 25 locations in nine states. Some of them we built from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Some of them we partnered with people who believe what we did through kind of a acquisition and joint venture models. We'll be entering our 10th state um, next month. We'll probably double in size in 2022. That's our plan. And are you venture capital based or where is the funding coming for this? We have a private equity financial sponsor. We also have invested money into the business Mm -hmm. as well. So when you partner, which is a euphemistic way, I mean, partner meaning you, you have a veterinarian who has like a single practice and then they join yeah. Yep. Join your business. Is that right? That's right. Sometimes we purchase the hospital from them. Sometimes there we have a joint venture where they retain some ownership in the business. So it varies. Okay. So from the perspective of the pet owner, what are the benefits, you know, of having your practice acquired or becoming part of your company or any of these others that are growing? We actually put all of our locations on the same practice management system right from the start. Hmm. So that allows every hospital to be on the same medical record system. And you can go from one facility to another conveniently, and those medical records are there. Our practice management system allows for medical texts to go in and out of the medical records. So a client can text and communicate, and it goes directly into our medical notes. And the same thing for the healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the ease of communicating makes it better. For the other client, we have like an online booker where the client can actually schedule their own pet visit 
and do it pretty much the way you might use a restaurant reservation. So those, I think, are benefits of leveraging the technology that part of Heart and Paw is trying to offer to people that may not be able to do that on their own. Even paperless records, one of the things I learned and was a big surprise is many veterinary practices still use paper records. And many times they say, I would love to be paperless. The work to do that is something I've just never wanted to take on myself. We do that. And that surprised me because in my practice in 1992, we went paperless. So things like that, I think, benefit the client. That makes sense. You had mentioned, or we talked a little bit about Mars, and I wanted to touch back on that because Mars, which is one of the two chocolate companies that are really big in the veterinary space, has only gotten bigger in this space. What do you think about that? You know, I... um I understand it. I, you know, I, I met some of the best people in my professional career at Banfield. So I had very good experiences there. Mm. The last couple of years were a little challenging because they were going in a direction that I just felt wasn't, it wasn't aligned with my values. Okay. But I think their interest in pet care, you know, there have many pet food companies. I think the interest in some of these groups is knowing that the consumer is spending more and more on animals and animal products. And and it is an amazing business opportunity mm-hmm. where chocolate and candies and confections might not be as as lucrative, right? As if we embrace health and embrace, you know, nutrition differently, you know, it makes sense why there would be interest in that. You know, I think there's positives that come from that, and there's negatives that come from that. And have you connected with some of the higher ups at Mars to talk about the direction that they're going? I have, you know, I've attended some of their industry summits. Mm-hmm. I certainly have a lot of relationships still with people there, you know, people that have left there. I keep a close relationships with, like I said, some of the best relationships I have were through my time there. I think it's wonderful to see that so many people who were leaders there, have spread some of the good things into other organizations, and yet they'll be very successful. They're doing some wonderful things for our profession. So I think there's room for everybody is, is how I see it. Earlier, you said that about 40% of the people in the profession as veterinarians want to get out of the profession. Is that still the case or has that changed? That is the case. You know, I think that's what we're up against. You know, I think what I see is in our little world at Heart and Paw, how do we change that? You know, one hospital at a time. We're not perfect, but by large, I do check in with our doctors and ask them, are you happy? Are you healthy? Any regrets? And typically their sense is that things are good and they're enjoying some of the freedom to do things the way they see fit. And not necessarily have to say, you know, we try to find a way to say yes to things versus no, you can't do that. So you said that you are now going to be in 10 states. That's pretty good. What do you see as the future for heart and paw and the veterinary industry in general? I'm an optimist by nature. I think, you know, as we embrace things like really making our profession more diverse, as we really start solving for things of looking forward and, and, and really meeting the needs of, you know, the millennials and Gen Zs who will be taking over and adjusting to 
how they want to, you know, live their lives, I think we'll see a resurgence. You know, there's a couple of new veterinary schools. There's one in New Jersey that's going to be opening, which we're really excited. It's in our backyard. So I think it's still a wonderful profession. I am happy. I have a niece that I'm hoping will follow. She's in pre-vet school. I have a cousin who graduated um, in 2018. So, you know, I, I guess I'm hopeful that we can do things right in the profession that ultimately will make more people see it as a very viable career. Zero unemployment. There's so much more flexibility and opportunities. So I'm an optimist. With the benefit of hindsight and you going back 40 years to, to the place where your daughter is now in graduating from vet school, with the benefit of hindsight, what advice would you give George back then? Boy, that's a great question. I would say... I'm very grateful I graduated when I did because the world was different. So I was, you know, able to do surgeries back then, maybe for the first time with a book. There was more need to do things. I was on emergency. But I would tell George, have more confidence. You know more than you think you know. Ask for help. Don't be afraid to reach out to other peers, other people, other veterinarians to really learn. I think we care a great deal about one another. And it's sometimes just raising your hand and saying, could you show me this? Can I come over and watch how you do this? I think there's a great willingness in our hearts. Mm -hmm. They're noble, not just for animals. I think they're noble for people too. And I think that would be the advice I'd give 40 year younger George. George Malila from Heart and Paw. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to your audience for listening. Veterinary medicine is, in fact, changing quite a bit. And we are going to continue to follow that here on Dog Podcast Network and here on this show, The Long Leash. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll do us a favor and tell a friend or two about The Long Leash. And I encourage you to check out the other shows on Dog Podcast Network. We are in all the podcast apps and, of course, also on YouTube. You can check out all of our shows on our website at dogpodcastnetwork.com. That's dogpodcastnetwork.com. That is it for today. I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at DPN, I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Aloha.